Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to the services at Grace Church. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you and welcome those who are joining us by means of internet. We're thankful to the Lord for providing these outlets that we have. And I'd like to begin with reading a few verses of scripture from Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And that's why we've come together today is to praise the name of our God. And uh, Brother Josh is going to lead us in some hymns so we can begin that way. everybody. You all have had a good week this week. So our hymn to start off today is, what is it here, number 228 in the hymnal, and it is My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Could you all stand with us? My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor the ever-living one his wounds for me shall bleed i need no other argument i need no other plea it is enough that jesus died and that he died for me enough for me that jesus saves this ends my fear and doubt a sinful soul i come to him he'll never cast me out i need no other argument i need no other plea it is enough that jesus died he died for me written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My great the lost he came to save for me his precious blood he shed for me his life he gave i need no other argument i need no other plea it is enough that jesus died and that he died You all can be seated and we'll have some announcements. Good morning. 
like to add my welcome to that of Elder Turner's to all of you for the services of Grace Church at Franklin today. We'll say a special welcome to any first-time visitors that we have here with us. And if you are a first-time visitor and did not get a chance to sign the register located in the foyer, we ask that you would do that as you depart just so that we might have a record of your attendance. Our pastor and Miss Lynn are both traveling this week, uh, ministering to some old friends, so we want to pray for their traveling mercies and also lift up Elder Turner as he breaks the bread of life to us today. Many of you probably seen my email where the grandmother of Dale Hazelwood passed away this past Friday. Her arrangements have been set at Williamson Memorial Funeral Home with uh, visitation occurring this Tuesday from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And the funeral service is Wednesday at 11 a.m. with visitation one hour prior to that. So let's continue to remember them before the Lord. <clears throat> Our pastor received word regarding Danny Shanks, and he, he does confirm to have a severe case of cancer. So let's remember Danny Shanks before the Lord. We should find out more in the coming weeks about his condition. We also learned that Ron McKitty's daughter, who we prayed for, was having surgery to remove cancer from her tongue and about 17 or more lymph nodes. That surgery did go well, and they indicate that they did and were able to remove all the cancerous tissue, so we continue to pray for her healing. <clears throat> continue to remember Marie Dalton as she recovers from her bout with both COVID and pneumonia. Uh, for Christy Lawrence as she's recovering from hip surgery. For Carl and Ruby's son, uh, who is recovering from a recent bout he had with congestive heart failure. Continue to remember my uncle, who is battling cancer. Uh, Craig Akins, who uh, remains in very serious condition. We pray that the Lord might intercede on his behalf. We've been praying for Becky Smith's uh, sister-in-law, Connie Smith. Uh, she was in a rehab center recovering from a recent illness, but she is now home, so we continue to uh, praise the Lord for that and ask for him to continue to heal her. Continue to remember Carolyn Batt. We've prayed for Carolyn for a number of reasons, but now her granddaughter, Margot, who lives with her, has developed COVID, and uh, her, uh, she lives in the household with Carolyn as well as some of the other family members, so we pray for each of them as they go through this. <clears throat> we want to continue to remember Laura Jackson, who is the niece of Brother Joe and, and Beth Moran. Uh, she is making some improvements, so they continue to thank you for your prayers on her behalf. We also want to remember Pat Jackson, for Howie Smith, who is serving in the military. And also we want to remember a dear friend of Sue Martin's, Lenore Walker. <clears throat> Lenore is Sue's brother in, uh, brother's mother-in-law, and she recently passed away. So let's remember her before the Lord. As I was walking in the service this morning, for those of you who got here early, I did find a pair of earbuds that were laying in the parking lot, black earbuds. So if they belong to you, they are located on the round table in the foyer. <clears throat> We also want to remind you that next week we will resume the fellowship dinner. We observe the fellowship dinner here each uh, Saturday of each, or I'm sorry, first Sunday of each month, and we will be doing so again. Uh, fellowship dinner starts immediately after church, and the way that it works here is that we just ask that you, if you plan to participate, that if you can, bring a, a dish uh, big enough to feed your family and a few others, and we typically have more than enough to go around. Again, we will take part of the fellowship dinner immediately following services next uh, Sunday. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the ladies are always gracious to sign up to be able to participate in the preparation of that and the cleanup afterwards. So Linda Foster has placed a sign-up sheet on the foyer on the round table, and we ask that if you're willing to participate that as a ministry to Grace Church, uh, just sign up on a month that's convenient for you. 
We also want to remind you that we do observe the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of each month, typically during this time of our worship service, so we encourage you to join us for that as well. Josh is going to come up and lead us in some additional singing, and again, let's remember Elder Turner as he delivers the message for us today. All right, good morning again to everybody. We're going to do, um, so you know the hymn on Jordan's Stormy Banks. This is a chorus that they kind of rewrote the, the tune. Uh, let me see if I can find it in my book here. It's called, it's still on Jordan's Stormy Banks, pretty much the same words. And if you've worshipped here with us for any length of time, you probably recognize it. But if you don't know how the tune goes, just try to follow along and it should be easy to catch on. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand And cast a wishful eye To Canaan's fair and happy land Where my possessions lie All o'er those wide extended one eternal day there God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away I am bound I am bound I am bound for the promised land I am Isn't it? 
The real way we're supposed to do the chorus is the men at the beginning of that chorus are supposed to say, I am bound, and the women say higher. I am bound. They do the refrain. Can we try that? Can we put that back up on the board, Mr. Larry? So the men, you'll sing the first part of that chorus, and the women sing the, the little refrain. Larry, we, we need the, uh, that uh, chorus part of that song, please. But men, you've got to sing out now with your low voices in order for this to work. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound. I am bound for the promised land. Let's do it without instruments. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound, I am bound. For the promised land. That's right. That's a good try. We, we could do it. We'll work on that some more later. <laughs> we need to have some chorus pra choral practice up here, right? Okay, the Haven of Rest, number 270. We were just talking about how much we loved this hymn. Uh, so good. Hey, the Haven of Rest, we're bound for the promised land. For many of us, the last few years, we can say we have loved ones that are already there. Longer bound for it, they're there. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Jesus is Lord, and I entered the
In the haven of rest, I'll sail the wild seas no more. And though the tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Oh, come to the Savior, He patiently waits to save by His power divine. Come, anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say, my beloved is mine. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. And though the tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Amen. Amen. Can we say praise the Lord to that? Amen. Can you all stand up with me? And if you're just now joining us over Ustream or on YouTube or I think on Sermon Audio and Video, we want to say welcome to you this morning. We're thankful that you're worshiping with us over the Internet. And we're going to sing a little bit more, and then we'll have Elder Turner come up and teach us this morning. Uh, let's, I think we have time for a couple more hymns. Let's do 355 in the hymnal. 355. This is a wonderful little hymn that we don't get to very often. It's called From Every Stormy Wind That Blows. Now, I know that I've modified the PowerPoint at some point. I don't know if I put it back from where it was in the hymnal, but there's so many good verses to this hymn. So we'll just kind of roll with it. If you're looking at the hymnal, don't get confused if we sing a different verse. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat, tis found beneath the mercy seat. There is a place where Jesus sheds the oil of gladness on our heads, a place than all beside more sweet. It is the blood-bought mercy seat. There is a scene where spirits blend, where friend holds fellowship with friend, though sundered far by faith they meet around one common mercy seat. Ah, whither could we flee for aid when tempted, desolate, dismayed, or how the hosts of hell defeat at suffering saints no mercy seat. Ah, there on eagles' wings we soar, and sin and sense molest no more, and heaven comes down our souls to greet, while glory crowns the mercy seat. There it is. Oh, let 
my hand, forget her skill. My tongue be silent, cold and still. This bounding heart forget to beat. If I forget thy mercy, see. Hey, Mr. Larry, if you'll go back forward one slide to that other one. <clears throat> Y'all look at that. Nope, one more forward, Larry. <clears throat> it's a, a let my hand forget her skill. Let's get that verse down. You were on it. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, there was a verse up there that went up there, but now it's disappeared. There it is. Oh, let, oh, let my hand. Look at that verse. Oh, let my hand forget her skill. My tongue be silent, cold, and still. This bounding heart forget to beat. If I forget thy mercy seat. <laughs> how about that? All right, one more song. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. 475. Usually, uh, Pastor and Lynn come up and sing during this time, but it's just us today. Or as Brother Bill says sometimes, it's just us girls, right? But, but I'm not a girl. <laughs> 475. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. <clears throat> Redeemed how I love to proclaim it Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed through His infinite mercy His child and forever I am Redeemed, yes I'm redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed his child and forever I am Redeemed and so happy in Jesus No language my rapture can tell I know that the light of His presence With me doth continually dwell Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb His child and forever I am I think of my blessed Redeemer I think of Him all the day long I sing for I cannot be silent His love is the theme of my song Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb His child and forever I am I know I shall see in His beauty The King in whose law I delight Who lovingly guardeth my footsteps And giveth me songs in the night Redeemed, yes I'm redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, His child and forever I am. There we go. That's good news, people. And we would be in a world of trouble were we not redeemed. And we need to pray for this world. What a world we live in. Isn't it crazy out there?
Well, y'all can be seated. I think that Elder Turner is going to come up and teach for us. Hope you all have a great week and see you soon. I know you just sat down, but if you would, please stand with me. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our attempt to worship Him at this time. standing for just a moment and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. I'm going to read a few verses here from the first chapter of 1 Peter. As he opens his epistle, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the sojourners scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then we're going to skip down to verse 13. And here Peter gives us this exhortation, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do once again approach into thy throne of grace through the name of and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We approach into thee asking that you would be pleased to meet with us at this time, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that thy blessed Spirit would take the word and open it unto our hearts, that you would be pleased to open our hearts to that word, 
that the word would be taken and applied to us in such a way that we might be transformed more and more to the image of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask on behalf of those who are not able to be with us today, for those that are traveling, we pray your hand upon them to grant them traveling mercies. For those who are sick, we ask as a great physician you might touch their infirmities to raise them up. For those who need comfort, we ask that you would succor them, to give them grace, and we ask that you bless each of us. Bless us according to your riches in grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like for us this morning to consider, especially verse 13, as our text. For Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, the revelation that he's talking about here, of course, is the final coming, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to uh, consider, because all of the writers of the New Testament, well, the Old Testament writers, they wrote with regard to the first coming, the first advent of Christ. The New Testament writers would write in uh, light of the second coming of Christ. And I think we'll find that when he talks here at the revelation of Christ, though there are different ways, and we might consider some of those of looking at how Christ has been revealed, he's talking here about the second coming. And the second coming of Christ for some people has been a mysterious thing, something to cause some wonder. Some have been caused to worry over when that coming may be, uh, especially those who are not prepared. Actually, it is possible to have an awareness that we are not prepared for the coming of Christ, that we are not prepared to meet God and not be saved. Sometimes there are individuals who undergo some long period of conviction before they are converted. And during that time, they do not have the hope that we have at the second coming of Christ. But the writers of the New Testament, they present this as a time, as an event that we're to rejoice in. This is an event that is not to cause fear or dread, but it is presented as a basis of our hope. They present it as something that is necessary unto our salvation. For it is necessary for our Lord's own glorification that he come again and complete. He has finished the work of redemption, but to complete our salvation, it's necessary for him to come again. It's necessary that he come to complete the salvation and the glorification of his church. It's necessary that he come again, that he might vindicate 
the gospel that has been presented to vindicate his people, to vindicate their witness, and to see the destruction of his enemies. The second coming is something that is necessary, but the second coming for the people of God, Peter tells us here, brings grace. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. That's an interesting phrase. We've been given grace when we are redeemed, when we were redeemed, it was by the grace of God. We are saved by the grace of God, according to Paul and his writings in the book of Ephesians. At the same time, we are being saved by grace, sanctified by the grace of God. And ultimately, we shall be glorified and saved by God. Our salvation is past, present, and future tense. We have been saved. We're being saved. We shall be saved. And that grace grows along with our salvation. We have perfect grace, but it grows fuller every day. We sing a hymn similar to that. I can't remember now the number. Uh, the hymn number, but uh, even though we have perfect grace, we learn more and more of that grace. There's going to come a time at the revelation of Jesus Christ and his second coming that the grace of faith is going to give way to sight. We're told that we believe in him talking of Christ, we believe in him in whom we have not seen. That's going to change. We won't be, as Paul said, to look upon him through a glass darkly. There's going to come a time that we shall see him face to face. What a blessed time that will be. And in that instant, when we see him face to face, the grace of our completed transformation that we will bear the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to 1 John. It's not that far. You're already in 1 Peter. You can turn a few pages to 1 John chapter 3. He says in chapter 3 at verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. That's our hope. That's what God has predestined for us. That's what Paul says over in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated that we be conformed to the image of his son. If God has determined that we're going to bear the image of his son, guess what? We're going to bear the image of his son. We're going to be made like unto him in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be a completed transformation. We're going through a process. Brother Foster wrote a little paper on sanctification. We're going through that part that's called progressive sanctification. 
Here in this world, as we go through this life, we are being transformed trial by trial from grace to grace to bear more and more the image of the one who died for us, our blessed Lord and Savior. We don't always see that. As a matter of fact, we're probably the last ones to see it. But as you worship with a group of people over the years, you see change in them. You see how the Lord has worked in their life. And uh, sometimes we use the phrase, my, how they have mellowed (laughs) through the years. Well, what that means is they have become more and more Christ-like in their walk with Christ. But we have that grace that is to be brought at his revelation. There's going to be the, the grace of perfect acquittal. Oftentimes, we here still have a problem with feelings of guilt before God. We shouldn't. Sin's been paid for. Christ has paid that debt. His blood has cleansed you from his sins. And when he comes again, you can read it over in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, where the church is compared or set forth as a bride of Christ. And when he comes, he's going to present his bride to himself as one who is chaste, without spot and without blemish. We have that standing now. It's just hard for us to grasp hold of it. But there is the grace of perfect acquittal. And of course, then there will be the grace of perfect joy and perfect obedience. It's our desire to be obedient now. But sin still gets in the way. The things that we do here, the prayers that we pray, the times that we come together to sing praise unto God, the, the, the worship that we try to offer unto our Lord, all of those things unfortunately are tainted with sin and have to be cleansed by the blood of Christ and thus received by the Father. Well, we find that oftentimes these writers of the New Testament use the second coming of Christ as an argument or as a motivation for us to yield obedience to the Lord. In the verse before us, here in verse 13, we have a threefold exhortation. One, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. It's not an English or a Greek lesson, but all of these are what they call imperative phrases. You may remember from your English, you know what an imperative phrase is? It's a command. So these things are not optional. We were talking about it in Sunday school. Brother Foster asked me what I was going to teach on. And uh, I quoted the verse for him. He said, do we have to? I thought, Yeah. We do. (laughs) It's not optional. The first one is gird up the loins of your mind. The second is to be sober. The third is hope unto the end. But before we get to the verse, I want you to look at the very first verse, or word in the verse. Wherefore, in some translations, it's therefore. 
And you remember we had, I don't know if it was Brother Riesinger or one of the pastors once before when he was here, said anytime you come to a verse of scripture that has a therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. Because this marks our train of thought. What's fixing to follow this little word wherefore is based on what has preceded this verse. In other words, the first 12 verses, Peter sets forth some arguments for us to adhere to and to follow the admonition, the exhortation that he's fixing to give us in verse 13. Wherefore, what have you told us, Peter? We'll go back to verse 2. We read this one. In verse 2, he says, We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's simply telling us that God has chosen us. God has set his love upon us. Again, the passage, the same passage I made reference to earlier in the book of Romans in chapter 8. When it says, for whom he did foreknow, in the original language, that word foreknow, that no part of it doesn't mean simply knowledge, but it means an intimate knowledge. And so what that's really saying is for whom he foreloved, he has called. Those whom he has set his love upon. Those who are the children of God, those whom God has chosen, should not be timorous, should not give way to despair. It is God who has chosen us. Really, it, is, it behooves the elect of God, the chosen of God, to be resolute, to be steadfast. That's what's becoming in a child of the king. It seems that we have a society that has in every way possible denied God has in every way possible, in some ways, asked God to you know, remove himself from us, that we don't want anything to do with him. But that is not, that is not true for everyone in this country, because God has a remnant, he has a people here that still love him and recognize that he has chosen us. He has not chosen us because of a great number. You can read back in, the, uh, I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy where he talks about uh, choosing Israel. He said, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest of nations. I didn't choose you because that you have, you know, the most powerful. For actually you're the least of all the nations, but rather I have chosen you simply because he was pleased to choose them. God has elect, he has an elect people that are his chosen people and will continue to be his people, not because of anything we do, not any merit in us, but simply because of his good pleasure. In these blessed hymns that we were singing, having the
the hope that we have. We have that hope given to us by the grace of God as a gift because he has chosen us. But notice, if you will, how he tells us that he has uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. This is his foreloving. He says in verse 3, he repeats a blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope. We've been born again. We've experienced a new birth if we're a child of the King. We are new creations. A new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old things have passed away. And that verse has a whole lot more to do with just talking about the individual. But that's not the verse we're studying. But it does include that. For the individual, the old things have passed away. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we are to behave as a new creation. We're no longer children of the flesh. We are now children of the Spirit. And therefore, we ought to walk according to the Spirit. Shouldn't live as natural man, as one who has no hope, as one who has no knowledge of what is to go off. We need to seek earnestly to live up to our heavenly lineage. We're a child of the king. You're a prince and princess of the king of glory if you're his child. You're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We need to, uh, the Greek word is pedagogos. We have one of those. We have the Holy Spirit that has been given to us to come alongside of us to train us in how we're to behave. That's what the teacher, that's what the pedagogue did for the royal children. They trained them not only to educate them, but trained them how they were to live, how they were to act, how they were to conduct themselves as a prince of the kingdom, as a child of the king. We have the spirit of God that has been given unto us that he would teach us not only the word of God, but he would teach us how to have that word applied to our hearts that we might behave ourselves according to our lineage that we are the children of God. So we are called to a holy living both by our election and by our regeneration, born of the Spirit of God. But he doesn't end there. He says he hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. If we are born to an inheritance, that means we're heirs. That's what I was talking about earlier. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. The things that God has given to his Son, Jesus Christ, through him he has given to us. Does the scripture not tell us that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus? Does he not tell us that in Christ he has given us 
all things that pertain unto life and godliness? Are we not told that if he has given us the greater gift, which is his son, would he withhold from us some small gifts? No. We are heirs of God. Everything, everything that exists belongs unto the Father because he created it. As Pastor said, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns those hills too. He owns it all. And we are heirs of the king. So if that is our destiny, if we are heirs of God and that inheritance is reserved in heaven, it's nothing that can happen to it. And if this is our destiny, we should not be cast down by either sin or hardships or trials. Be like Job when God gave Satan permission to take everything he had, his children, his camels, his sheep, houses, whatever. Said that Job received all that and did not sin because he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What do we have in this world that is ours. Nothing. He's given us what we have. You live in his house. You ride around in his vehicle. The children that you have are his children. He's put them in your custody to raise them. They're not your children. They're his. The friends that we have all belong unto him. Let us not be downcast by sin nor trials. Not only that, but in verse 5, he says, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You wake up in the morning sometimes, you feel tired and weak. You feel like perhaps there's some doubt in your mind as to whether or not you're even a child of the king. Well, guess what? It's not up for you not up to you to keep yourself. You're kept by the power of God. Whether you feel like it or not, if God has saved you, you're saved. And we can go through this life without worry, without being anxious, whether or not we can hold out, but knowing and trusting that he who has saved us, we are kept by his power kept through the power of God through faith unto salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. Is that not what we were just talking about? You see how he points us to the coming again of Christ? Our inheritance, it's reserved in heaven. When will we see that? When Christ comes again. Kept by the power of God. How long are you going to be kept by the power of God? Till the last time when you were with Christ. Then you won't have to be kept because you will be in the presence of God. We'll be in his likeness. So we find that in all of these things we have a hope. 
that we shall be sustained, that the trial that we undergo, whatever it may be, the trials, the uh, persecutions that may come in this country, those trials, all of them will be sanctified to us. We sing a hymn that tells us this here. When you're called to go through the waters, he said it's not to destroy you. His only design is our dross to consume and the gold to refine. These things God has meant for our good. That's what we've been studying about Joseph, isn't it? As the final thing that Joseph said to his brothers, he said, listen, he said, I know all of these things that you did, all these things that happened to me, you intended it to be evil. But God meant it for good to save much people alive. So the things that happened to us, they're not pleasant. They hurt. They cause us to have sorrow. But ultimately, they're for our good. One fellow put it this way. He said, when the devil comes to uh, take a swing at us, you know, to hurt us. God directs that blow so that the only thing he accomplishes is to chip away something that is not of Christ. Just like somebody carving uh, or whittling an image. One man said as he was whittling one time, he said, somebody asked him, he said, how did you take a piece of wood like that and end up with a dog? He said, well, I just cut away everything that didn't look like a dog. That's the way God is doing with us. He even uses Satan's attacks on us to carve away those things that do not resemble his son. When we consider the company we travel with as we pass through the wilderness, we should find strength and encouragement in their testimony. Look at the life of any of the old patriarchs of the Old Testament and they had many trials, many things that they did go through, but God saw them through it. Daniel, cast into the lion's den, hungry lions, but you know what? God shut their mouth. The three Israelite children that were cast into the fiery furnace, furnace was heated up seven times hotter than usual so that the men that were used to cast them into the furnace, died from the heat. But it says of those three, they came forth from the fire, not even smelling like smoke. Noah, when he went into the ark, it was a place of safety for him, but guess what? He still had to ride out the flood. He still passed through that storm, but he passed through it as he was in Christ. That's what the ark represents, is Christ. He doesn't tell us that we're going to be saved from trials, but saved through them. Do you remember of Peter? Christ told Peter one time, he said, do you know, Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for you not that you would not have to experience that, but rather I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. He was going to experience some hard times. Satan was going to sift him as sweet, but his faith wouldn't fail because Christ 
had prayed for. There may be times that you feel like you're being sifted like wheat, but you're okay. Our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God to make intercession for his people. And one of the things he prays is that our faith fail not. We are saved by the power of God, kept by his power through faith, and the salvation ready to be revealed. All right, we come to the exhortations. That's the wherefore. Wherefore, why are we to adhere to these exhortations? Well, he tells us we're the elect of God. We've been born again into the family of God. We're heirs of God. We're kept by the power of God. And for these reasons, we need to pay attention to these exhortations. It's because of these arguments that we have a wherefore, that we are to gird up the loins of our mind. This, is a spirit, this has to do with spiritual readiness. Gird up the loins of your mind. The Eastern culture, we have sometimes, because we're of a Western culture, a different culture than what the people lived in the time that the scriptures were written, may not always understand some of the idioms or the uh, things that are being spoken of here, but at this time, the men didn't wear trousers or pants like we do. They had the long robes, and when they were going to work, they would take and gird up those long robes, the tail of the robes, they tuck it into the, their belt so they wouldn't trip on it, and they would be better prepared to work or to fight or whatever action they were called to. Do you remember the, uh, the night that the Passover was instituted? You can read it back in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Uh, somewhere along... 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, he tells them how they are to eat the Passover. He said, when you eat the Passover, don't sit down or lounge like you usually would at a meal, but rather eat it with your loins girt about, your sandals on your feet, and eat it in haste. Why? Because... God had a work for them to do. They were going to leave Egypt. He was ready for their exodus. Teaches us the earnestness of this call. We're to be ready. It denotes preparedness. Ready to move as God directs. Can you turn back a few pages to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 12. Here Christ is in the middle of his teaching and he tells them in verse 35 of Luke chapter 12. Let your loins be girded about and your lamps burning and ye yourselves like men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks they may open unto him immediately. Now Christ told his disciples that's how they were to be. And in telling them, he's telling us as well, we need to have our loins girded about, have our lamps burning, to be looking, to be watchful. 
to be expecting, to be waiting upon the Lord. We don't know the time of his coming. And for each individual, that time varies. We were just mentioning how that our brother Dale Hazelwood, his grandmother, passed away this week. For her, because she was a professing Christian, the Lord came for her. His coming has already happened for her. She's already with the Lord. We don't know when that time will be for any one of us here. There are a number of people that left this world in this past year. Some of them young, some unexpectedly, some have been sick for a season. But we don't know those things, so we need to be prepared. We need to be ready whenever Christ returns. Be prepared. It shows determination and resolution. You see, it's through much conflict that we finally come to our rest. We're not at rest right now. This is not a place of rest for the believer. Christ said in this world, didn't say you'll have peace, but rather he said in this world you shall have tribulation. Didn't say it could happen, he said it shall happen. In this world you shall have tribulation. And we see that the, the more the Spirit, I don't know that the Spirit has withdrawn himself, but it seems that in some areas he has relaxed the constraint on some people. People are more bold now to, to, to speak out against God and the things of God. You have... I heard it on the news not too long ago, and I can't remember now the area of the country. But they had actually, a school system had actually allowed a satanic club to meet in their facility after school. Now that school will not allow Christians to mention the name of Christ. Will not allow prayer in that school but thou allow this club to come in and to teach these satanic cults to the young people. That's a boldness that should not be. The battlefield, you see, the mind is the battlefield of spiritual warfare. That's where things take place. And so he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared for spiritual warfare. To think on things that are honorable. To think on things that are true. We need to concentrate our strength for the battle that lies before us because this is a time of warfare. Now he's talking about something else altogether, but I have... I have a son-in-law that I call him a workaholic. He works all the time. I mean, he, he goes to work and he'll work a shift. He's, uh, you know, 12, 10, 12 hours before he gets back home. And when he gets back home, he's immediately outside finding something to do, working, working. I said, you need to stop and rest a minute. He said, 
there'll be time enough for resting after I pass from this life. Well, I understand what he's saying, but it's completely misapplied. But for us, it's true. For us, in this life, we need to be about the master's business. We need to be prepared for warfare every minute of the day because there's a time coming when we can rest. This is not it. This is a time wherein we're to be uh, soldiers, good soldiers of the faith. And we need to recognize, I'll turn to 2 Corinthians. When I say the mind is the battlefield, let me show you a couple of scriptures. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3 reads a little differently than 1 Corinthians, so let me get in the right book. Here we are. Chapter 3, verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The mind was blinded. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Speaking here of the Jews. Their mind has been blinded that they cannot see the truth of Messiah, who Jesus really is. But look in chapter 4. And verse 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world or this age hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Minds have been blinded. That's the warfare. That's the place of battle. That's the reason we need not to, to speak of a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be revealed because we don't have the physical eyes to see it. Anyone can read the words of Scripture, but not everyone has the ability to understand the meaning of those words. Not everyone has the ability to see in the scriptures the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What is that mind that we be, that we delight to do the will of the Father? That's what he's talking about. That's where the contest lies. That's where we are to be prepared. But not only to gird the gird up our minds, but to be sober. This is spiritual self-restraint. This is talking about moderation in all things. We're not to be so intoxicated with the things of the world that that's all we can see. It doesn't say that we are to despise or to denounce 
the pleasures that God gives us, you know, if he gives you wealth, then enjoy that and use it to glorify him. The home that he's given you, don't feel that you have, you know, to uh, be ashamed of what he has blessed you with, but recognize that it comes from him. And on the other hand, we're not to be overly anxious or depressed with passing troubles, because they are passing. It's not, it's not going to last forever. Let us make sure our footing is what he's talking about here, to be sober. As he tells us in 1 Corinthians, let those who think they stand be careful and take heed lest you fall when you're trying to help another brother or sister who has fallen. Let us be on firm ground. Let us be watchful. The word sober can also mean watchful. Let us use the light that has been given us to walk in the path that he has shined or that he is showing us. If we use the light that he has given us, he'll give us more light. We step out by faith. We trust the Lord to make sure we have a thus saith the Lord for our actions. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, God had spoken to Moses and told him to lead the people. And, well, let's turn and read it. Exodus 33. Moses was ready to obey the Lord, but at the same time he had a condition on that. In verse 14, the Lord says, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. That's a sure word. That's a word from the Lord. In verse 15, And he said unto him, Now this is Moses. This is not the Lord. This he is Moses. Moses said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up from hither. He had a word that God was going to be with him. He said, that's okay. I'll go if you're going, but if you're not going to be with me, if your presence is not with me in this venture, close the door. I don't want to go. don't want to go where the Lord is not leading. Joshua, when he crossed the Jordan River, Recall the famous crossing there. They told the priests to take the ark up on their shoulders and to begin to walk out into the water. Well, they were kind of thinking, wouldn't it be nice if you, you know, divided the water so we could walk out on dry land like we did in the Red Sea, but it wasn't going to be that way. He said, as soon as you just step out into the waters, then he said, I'll pardon. And he did that. But his... The word of the Lord to Joshua was be courageous. Be courageous and know that I am with you. Hope to the end is the third exhortation. Be strong in the confidence of God's word. Taught some time ago, but we had a lesson on 
the word of God, how his word is sure. It's a sure word of God. If he says something, you can bank on it. Have I said it, saith the Lord, and shall I not bring it to pass? Yes, he will. So we can hope to the end. We can be strong in the confidence in God's word. His words, or the words here may be rendered hope in the grace. Hope in the grace that is being brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, that grace is an ever-changing thing as we swim out into it, it grows deeper and deeper. Sweeter and sweeter, we're saved by the grace of God, considering and consider that the hope is this, is an extension of grace given to us, that hope in Christ's coming. That hope is a promise that is to be fulfilled, his promise that he will come again. That hope has a quality of perfection. It's a perfect hope. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a purifying hope. Scriptures tell us those that have this hope in them purify themselves. That's why we gird up our minds. That's why we're sober. That's why we have this hope. It's a purifying hope. It moves us to cheerful toil. Service to the Lord's not to be grievous. His burden is a light burden. Something that should be a delight, something we can joy in. When he tells us here that this is for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation, that grace is being brought day by day. And that grace will be at the time when we come to stand before God, there will be a dealing with us, not as we are in ourselves, but dealing with us in grace and in mercy upon the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We find that he who has begun this work in us will continue it, it began by grace, it began by faith, it will continue to be so. When we speak of the revelation of Christ, there are four ways in which that can happen. We have a scriptural revelation, he's revealed to us in the scripture. From Moses to the book of the Revelation, Christ is the center of the scriptures. There was the incarnation. That's when not only was he declared, but he was perceived by a multitude of people. There is a spiritual revelation. This is produced by the Holy Spirit when he grants his faith, the eyes of faith to see and to behold that Christ is not just a Savior, but he is my Savior. Not just that he died upon the cross, but he died for me when he died upon the cross. And it is a glorious revelation at his second coming, all will be revealed. So we have that expectation. 
And to that expectation, we have the exhortation to gird up our minds to be sober and to hope to the end based on what God has done for us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, again we call upon thy name through Christ our Lord. We thank you, O God, for this passage of scripture. And we ask that you would give us grace to comply with the exhortation that Peter has laid upon us. That we might gird up the loins of our mind to be prepared to serve you and to do battle. That we might be sober, we might walk circumspectly and according to the calling and the new birth. And ask that indeed we would stand fast in the hope that you have given unto us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless us now, we ask that you would use the word to glorify yourself. But we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right, before we dismiss, let's sing our little chorus we always end with. missed.